Some anthropological type guys claim that prehistoric horses had larynx muscles in their throats. <laughs> Recent findings suggest that this gene may actually have been passed down from generation to generation. Some primitive cultures believe that the equine was created in God's image. Noble, mighty, brilliant, sublime. And it was only after he finished perfecting his masterpiece known as horse that God turned his attention to the lesser animal. Look at this guy. <laughs> Apparently, Dune might premiere at Toronto this year. Yes, I'm pumped by that. <laughs> that would be a, a nightmare for me, personally. I think it'll be impossible for us to get in, if that makes you feel better. Yes. Why would that be a nightmare for you, though, Nico? I guess that's true. I could just, like, goof off and, and hit You could the just tab. go somewhere else. There's a different yeah. movie. Yeah, good point. Like, yeah, <laughs> what's wrong with that? Actually, that's great. You guys are trapped for five hours with Dune Part 2. Because I only covered about three pages of the book in the first one. No, it was it was at the end of the credits. They were like based on the forward to the book, dude. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> based on the blurb in the sleep. <laughs> How do they end it again? They end it by being like, "Hey, the, the worms, you can ride them." You get a shot of the worms being rode. It, I think it basically ended with the white boy becoming the messiah of this tribe. Oh, I guess he changed his name or whatever. Right, right. And he got blue eyes or something. Yeah. He didn't get blue eyes. Not yet. That doesn't happen until much later. Yeah, you need to wait for his addiction to really kick in. We need to do the spice orgy. We're not quite there yet. Yeah. Did I see Austin Butler is like playing the whale in the new Dune? What? He's like in a fat suit or some shit. He's playing the nephew to the whale. If you're if you're at oh, all I curious. Guess, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, yeah, right. There is actually a whale in the movie. Yes, he's playing the nephew to Stellan Skarsgård's The Whale. <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård's The Whale. New from A24. Did you see The Whale, Joe? So my son's friend downloaded it from Pirate Bay. Oh, my God. The only uh, like uh, appropriate way to watch the movie. Yeah. But yeah. the problem was it was it was. <laughs> It was just that stupid picture of Brendan Fraser looking <laughs> off like and the, the audio was picture, yeah, yeah, it was the audio was behind it. Like it was just that picture for however long that movie ran with the audio. <laughs> I saw that movie in the theater with a packed house, though, which was very weird. Just hooting and hollering just every time they call him the whale. Take a shot. People <laughs> which <laughs> throw a harpoon at the screen or whatever, like Rocky Horror. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People liked it, which was very interesting. Uh, People come with boxes of pizza, like just yeah, that's right, and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches as it drips all over their fucking shirts. It was disgusting. Home health care aid cosplay. <laughs> You're not fucking kidding though. The movie ends, and it's like the emotional climax, and he's like really distraught. His daughter has just abandoned him. His ex-wife has chewed him out, or whatever. He's he's on death's door. And Brendan Fraser in this, you know, moment of emotional catharsis literally orders five fucking pizzas and you just watch him folding the pizzas in on themselves. Like the entire pizza? Yeah. Like, yes. Yes. <laughs> literally the entire. So it's a big calzone. <laughs> yeah. It's a super calzone. <laughs> That's the movie. <laughs> Like there's a, a bucket of KFC fried chicken that's across the room from the whale. He's a big man. He can't move off the couch. It's a harrowing moment to see him go for that chicken. Let me they tell you. They shoot it like a fucking Hitchcock MacGuffin, dude. <laughs> 
like it is the most offensive, exploitative dreck I've ever seen in my like. It's so awful. And like, and the fucking Oscar voters are just like, oh, such a brave performance. Frazier put on a fat suit and masturbated to gay porn. Well, and I think the other thing was, I don't know if you guys talked about this, but the other thing I think was like for the the Oscar crowd, it's that they love a comeback. They love attra- conventionally attractive people who demean themselves uh, and they love gay porn. That's all I could think of. It does kind of tick the boxes. You're right. No, listen, and I thought Austin Butler probably should have won that. Um, but, you know, even if you want to give it to Colin Farrell. That would have been my choice, frankly. Yeah, actually yeah. moving performances and talk about like a guy that's paid his dues and is finally getting his award or whatever. Went through a similar kind of Brendan Fraser thing, you know, with stupid action movies in the in the mid 2000s and, you know, came out the other end as this like really cool indie actor. Like, I don't know. That's a much better performance and a much better movie than the fucking whale. Are you really giving Austin Butler and Elvis that much credit? <laughs> he became the king. I, yeah, I don't know, man. His performance is pretty fucking good. It also stuck with him. Apparently, every interview I've seen him do after, he's like, yeah, like he was sitting down with Willie Geist at one point. And Willie Geist's like, so uh, I really enjoyed the Elvis movie. And he was like, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank very much. And he's like, so uh, what did you do to train for this? And he was like, well, uh, I'm the guy's like what? What? <laughs> I watched him at Hot Ones, and it just felt like Elvis was doing Hot One. What a thought, though. You know, like if Elvis was still around, he'd be doing Hot Ones. Ah! <laughs> it is kind of funny to see him in like modern context. They now. call me the King, but they don't call me the King of Wings. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you got any peanut butter for these wings? <laughs> you got a bucket of peanut butter? I'll dip my wing in there. This is my last dab. Just kidding. Going in for seconds. (laughs) Wouldn't it be funny, though, if there was a timeline? Every timeline Elvis lived in, he died on the toilet. Like, it happened after his appearance on Hot Ones. Everything everywhere all at once, but Elvis and just dying on the toilet. Elvis and toilets, and it's like... (laughs) The constant is dying on the toilet. King takes last dab on toilet. (laughs) I do think it would be very funny if they recast uh, Baron Harkonnen with uh, Brendan Fraser. I mean, he really hasn't been able to leave the whale behind either. That way, if Stellan Skarsgård falls sick, we have just the guy. That's what I'm saying. You saw that speech where, like, every thank you was a whale pun. Mm. It was like, all of you have whale-sized hearts. I would hunt flubber with all of you. Like, every moment was... I would hunt flubber? What do they call it? Blubber? Blubber. Flubber the Robin Williams movie? I'd hunt that too in Walmart bargain bins across America. <laughs> oh my God. What the hell are we even talking about? Joe DeFeo is here today. Yes. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Our old pal, our uh, favorite trivia host, our former trivia host. Yes. I hung up my spurs. Now I'm uh, writing books, movie adaptations. <laughs> right. Yeah. Read the Bantam book of The Whale, the movie adaptation. <laughs> Honestly, writing novelization, paperback novelizations of bad movies, not a bad living. Do, do you, you all know the famous story? I think we may have talked about it. The famous like E.T. the Green Planet book that was the unofficial sequel to E.T. No, Whoa. really? Oh, my God. It's like the one thing that made E.T. interesting was bringing him to a place where he didn't belong. And the book was like, you know, what would be really interesting seeing him on his home planet and learning how he has sex. <laughs> oh yeah uh 
as a child who was fascinated with the film E.T. and then was getting as much E.T. stuff as I could when that book came out, I was like, yeah, this is, ooh, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Is the sex like, do they touch fingers and it glows? You know, Nick, I've put it out of my head. Well, for the sake of the podcast, can you get it back in your head? Let me see here. Uh, E.T. sex, uh, the green planet. (laughs) That weirds up E.T. tremendously if he is doing it with his finger, by the way. How old is E.T.? The movie? No, the alien. No, the alien. Oh, oh, the the alien. Sorry. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm sorry. He's a child. Like, what's his age? Yeah, that's right. Like, he always was coded as a child, right? And I was like parallel to like Elliot experiencing like puberty and like noticing girls and stuff, because I guess they still have that weird bond. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, dude. That gets a lot freakier in your 20s, dude. Yeah, sure. Like, it's one thing if you're just like bonded at the age of nine as you're thinking about Reese's pieces or whatever. Then you're thinking about Reese's pieces of ass at 20. (laughs) Hey, oh, hey, oh, good night, everybody. Uh, That was the uh, very good. That was the novel that introduced the word power bottom to the world. (laughs) E.T., the book of the green planet. If you don't believe me, look it up. All right. Uh, we invited Joe here because we haven't seen you in a while and we miss you and uh, we're, we're happy to, to have you. And every time you come, you pick a movie from your childhood. That's kind of how things go around here. You tend to pick movies that came out in between the years of 1987 and 1993. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that you picked today is a real doozy. You really outdid yourself here. Yeah, you are welcome to everyone. You, I bestowed this upon you and unleashed apparently like this is my death note to all of you. <laughs> I think I need a full explanation yeah. of this entire film, both uh, who anybody in it is, why you picked it, <laughs> what is going on, who wrote it, what was the 80s like. I need I need the. I, I need full context here. I'm so lost. Do do, do we even give Joe a a, a Watati nomination after this? He was. I mean, this is bad. Yeah, guys. he's about to like. I don't know. Fall off the board. You're right. <laughs> he might fall out of the top five this it year. Might, yeah. In his quest for the Watati. My my only uh, defense is that then you would have no one to joyously deny a Watati. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yes, because I can hear I can hear you, uh, you vultures licking your chops every time it comes up. It's like, how can we screw him out of this? <laughs> uh, for those of you who can't see us, uh, I'm actually in a fat suit like Brandon Fraser, <laughs> uh, masturbating to gay porn and eating pizzas like they're pizzones. Just <laughs> folded up. I'm trying for that with Taddy. People are amazing. Uh, inherent. I'm assuming this is a line from the movie, like. Truly, we are all the whale. The whale. Yeah, yeah. basically. They might as well have said it. But you're the fattest whale. <laughs> My favorite review I saw for the movie was, Thar, it blows. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. That was fucking great. <laughs> I mean, it was right there, you know? It just, they were asking for it. It is like the most offensively Aronofsky movie, though. Yeah, That's all right. the interesting Enough of the thing. whale. Enough. Okay, too much. <laughs> okay, we're done. Um, Context, please. Yo. I do have some context on the making of the movie, but I do want to know more about your state of mind here. <laughs> so uh, much like the film The Whale, it was uh, a box office. No, I don't know. Um, the Whale did good at the box office, actually. Yeah. The Whale made money. There's no way Hot to Trot made a single dollar. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I don't know. I, I, there's actually a very funny story about 
about that, but I'll, I'll get into that There's later. There's got to be a record number of walkouts for this movie. Seriously. Gross $6.4 million on a $9 million budget. Wow. That's a little too close. That's a little too close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, this was a movie that was on, and I think they tried to make up their their losses by selling it to cable companies. So this movie was on cable all the time. And as a kid with nothing to do, I watched a lot of cable. And this was usually like one of those ones they ran several times a day, most notably before they got into like Cinemax After Dark. Sure. So what yeah. you were waiting for. That was the pre-show. That was, right? yes. Yeah. It was the pregame. Um, yeah. You know, Virginia Madsen in this movie was the pregame too. Oh, they complement each other nicely, really. A young Virginia Madsen. Oh, fetching. Another, let's talk about Dune, by the way. <laughs> There's another connection to Dune. I'm very happy showed up. Listen, for me, Virginia Madsen will always be the love interest in Sideways. And, you know, Paul Giamatti, you know, abandoning his life to chase after her in Napa is that that's Virginia Madsen. Yeah. Come on, Adam. Yeah. But in this quite fetching a floating head in space, Nico. I mean, it doesn't really get much better than that. Yeah. Come on, dude. Just. <laughs> and of course, I was probably in the target demographic for this movie. And it was literally just one of those movies that was on. I'm going to watch it. My parents saw what I was watching and they were like. That's a safe bet that he's not planning anything nefarious because the movie is making him dumber as he watches it go, you know, go on. That's my only note. You feel That's dumber? my only note is that I felt dumber watching it. I might have called in a priest if I saw my kids watching this thing <laughs> to exercise them. Yeah. yeah, it is. It does have the dressing of a children's film. Yeah. And it is a PG movie, but it's a pretty hard PG very <laughs> you know like there's a, there's a couple curse words there are references to burgess meredith's balls we'll get there later there's there's like a almost partial nudity and uh the, the worst offense of all dabney coleman preparing to have sex dude dabney fucking coleman not just dabney coleman dabney coleman with fake buck teeth with fake like literally there used to be those machines at walmart or whatever where you would put the quarters in you twist it out and there'd be like this little plastic orb and and you would get teeth like that in those little machines. Like that's the kind of uh, prosthetics he's working with here. Mm -hmm. Much like in the whale. Um, <laughs> just, let's keep doing this. So I, I was actually I was looking this up because I'm like, is Dabney Coleman still alive? Because I feel like he has just been a constant presence in my life as long as I've been conscious. Uh, how old do you think Dabney Coleman is? He is still working. And he is still on the Kevin Costner series Yellowstone. 87. It's got to be 89. 91. Wow. Ooh, 91 years old. I, I looked up the same thing a while back. I was like, is he still alive? And I looked it up. And the first thing that came up was a website that was like, yes, exclamation point. Can you believe it? Dabney Coleman is still alive and working. <laughs> He's one of those guys that's always been old. Yes. Like in Tootsie, he was like the old smarmy uh, boss, right? That like that that hits on Dustin Hoffman. And in nine to five, he's he plays as older here. He's playing Bobcat Goldthwaite's stepfather. So he has to read as old as well. And that, that was 30, 40 years ago. He was playing these roles. And I was but I was shocked because he was in 24. I remember like he still pops up in TV a lot. Um, but yeah, just one of those guys that's just eternally old. I, I don't know him as a young man. He was he was a perpetual presence, too, because 
everything from like war games to the the Muppets take Manhattan to like you know you name it he was in it was it the 80s he was in it I forgot he was in war games too geez now I'm thinking about it. he's been in everything <laughs> oh yeah. yeah always good always just base hit right down the middle mm-hmm you know, never going to blow you away, but never going to ruin your movie. He's very good at Muppets Take Manhattan, actually. I, I think he should just, they should just do this at the Oscars where it's like, this is a very Dabney Coleman. Yeah, there's just like a handful of actors like that where it's just like, if you need a fucking guy with a mustache who kind of reads as evil, but he's not too evil, you know, like if you need kind of like, uh, like a, uh, a, like a crooked politician or a or a or a bad police sergeant or whatever, like get Coleman on the phone. There's a bunch of guys like that, like that are in their fifties. Most of them make it when they're in their fifties. That's the thing. Like I think about like Giancarlo Esposito now. He did Breaking Bad pretty late in life, and now just anytime you need a bad guy, anytime you need like a a uh, an evil head of a of a corporation. Or a or a police chief, you just call Giancarlo Esposito up. Coleman has been in that mode seemingly for seventy years. <laughs> you know, if you find your thing, man. Yeah, he's made a lot of money off of just doing one thing. That's not bad. Yeah. Back when Dabney Coleman was in his first movie, Birth of a Nation. <laughs> so, so that's the context for for me. Is that's how I remember this movie. Okay. And I also remember it as a punchline that Bobcat Goldthwait used on his short-lived question mark show bobcat's big ass show on on fx extremely short-lived yeah was it yeah <laughs> yeah this this is this is kind of where i'm where i'm coming from because this movie's nonsense but um uh i i guess the 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 bigger question i had coming out of it was um where does everybody here stand on bobcat goldthwaite oh well that is the question on top of everyone's lips yeah yeah Bobcat. I got into Bobcat in high school because I used to listen to the NPR show. Wait, wait, don't tell me, which feels like a DeFeo thing. It is one of the it is one of the few podcasts I listen to. You are absolutely correct. Yeah. Along with this one, right? Along with this one. Yeah. <laughs> I, have, I, I have two subscriptions to podcasts. This one and, and wait, wait, don't tell me. <laughs> Total shot in the dark, but I was pretty confident that one was hitting, dude. Honestly, like blindfolded dart throw bullseye. Um, yeah. So he was a panelist on that show frequently when I was in high school. Um and I actually, I got into his directorial work. I, I saw his movie World's Greatest Dad with Robin Williams. He was Robin Williams' best friend. He actually did a pretty good, like, political satire movie, indie movie called God Bless America, I think in, like, 2011. You ever seen Sleeping Dogs Lie? No, I haven't. I haven't seen Shakes the Clown either. But he did Shakes the Clown only a couple years after this one. Yeah, that was, his, that was the one that, again... Was always on cable because they I don't think it ever was in the theaters. I could be wrong, but I feel like that was either direct video or direct cable. And it always blew me away because there's so many cameos in that one. Kind of like there's cameos in this one of people who may have thought it was going to be a better movie. <laughs> yeah, um, I did not grow up with the crazy voice, dark comic Bobcat. That was, that's not my Bob. My Bobcat is the elder statesman who kind of like mellowed out, became an auteur, did podcasts in his normal voice. Like that's the Bobcat that I know. So I can't really comment on 80s Bobcat. Uh, but I will say the the standup that I've seen of him, I've watched a decent amount of his standup over the years. Not my thing. Yeah, I discovered him and I just didn't discover him. But I 
found out about him through comic relief. Oh yeah. For uh, talk about the eighties. Um, we thought the best way to fight homelessness was to put a bunch of comics on TV for 24 hours. And it was Billy Crystal, Robin Williams and Whoopi Goldberg, right? Yeah. And it yeah. wasn't even like regular TV. It was HBO. So you, you weren't even getting that many people to call in and pledge. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So like, yeah. Talk about being completely out of touch. Yeah. <laughs> so they did this thing. It was, I think it was 24 or 36, whatever. I don't know. It was a, it was a, it was a telethon. Yeah. And he, I had a recording of like the best of comic relief and he was on there his stand-up act in clubs was this frenetic wannabe rock and roll kind of thing where he had the long hair and he was always sweaty and he was always gross and had that gut just hanging a little bit too far over his, his jeans and so nick that's when you say what was the 80s like that was what they were like was a sweaty <laughs> wannabe rock and roll oh, uh, I, I, I can't do a good bobcat i'm really bad at bobcat i had a friend who anytime you asked him to do <laughs> Anytime he talked about doing an imitation of like, he would do Bobcat Goldthwait, no matter who it was, he'd be like, yeah, it's like in that movie when Beetlejuice is like, oh, I'm Beetlejuice. Look at me, everybody. And I'm like, what? Or he's like, you know, in, in Forrest Gump, when Tom Hanks was like, life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> Default was always just the Bobcat voice. Um, I had a teacher in high school. I'm not kidding you. Uh, a, I don't think he was ever my teacher, but he was like a substitute teacher that would roam around. And for some reason, the two of us developed some kind of connection. We were kindred spirits in in the 11th grade. And he used to do a Bobcat impression. And it became this thing where I was the only guy in the class that knew who Bobcat was. So, you know, he would just uh, his talents were squandered in the halls of Plainville High School, except for me. Uh, and he like when I graduated, wrote me like a whole page of uh, just Bobcat jokes. I thought you were going to say he wrote you like a like a legitimately nice note, but he stood behind you narrating it like, dear Nico, you are so awesome to have in class. Ah! It was this thing where it was like, I, I didn't know Bobcat as that. I knew Bobcat as, again, the older guy. So I would be like, yeah, Bobcat, he's a funny dude. I like him on NPR. And he's like, what are you talking about? He's one of the least talented people that's ever lived. Yes, absolutely. So it's kind of this generational divide thing. Also, I, I would, uh, that's a very liberal use of the word squandered. <laughs> I think that is exactly where that talent belongs. See, I, 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 I had known about Bobcat for years just through like the grapevine, never seen his stand up act, never seen, um, his movies or the NPR stuff or any of that. I didn't discover, like really discover him until like two years ago. Oh man, did it not play well for me? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was like a nightmare. I couldn't understand what was funny beyond the voice, I guess. Yeah, he was a much, I think, darker Gilbert. And it's kind of funny that Gilbert's actually in this movie, but um, it's, I think, like a much more kind of like subversive, politically minded Gilbert Gottfried mm -hmm. act, which I think like your mileage may vary on, frankly. I don't know. I think there is. It's again. It's not my thing, but I I understand why people that are into Bobcat are into Bobcat. Doesn't Zach love Bobcat? I'm sure he does. Loves Bobcat. Loves Bobcat. Yeah. Loves him. Yeah. Okay. I knew the name, but I don't. I never saw stand up. But when you when you mentioned Wait Wait Don't Tell Me, that did trigger something for me because I used to listen to that all the time in college. Yeah. So I'm sure I recognized him from there. Uh, but definitely watching this movie as this guy started doing the voice, I was like, "What the fuck is going on?" I'm like, and, and I could tell 
at least as somebody who who really had no idea what was going on here, it was obvious that this was a carryover from outside of the movie. This is his uh, what the fuck is Pauly Shore's character? The weasel. He's this is his weasel. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> well, he had been in he had been in the the police academy movies. Oh, that's right. Oh God. Okay. okay. The the people who put together the police who were watching the police academy movies who put together this movie were not like. Boy, people were really into that movie because of the writing or because of the nudity. Nope. They were like, you know what they really love? That man yelling at the camera. <laughs> <laughs> they need to see a feature length film starring that man. It's a similar thing to Polly Shore that some executives saw that. And it's like, you know what? Let's build an entire franchise around this character. Well, to be fair, Polly Shore is a Nepo baby. Uh, yeah. The, one of the original Nepo babies. Yeah. 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 That's that's true. I don't think anybody was claiming uh, Bobcat is theirs. Like <laughs> he could not be. He wouldn't be a nepo baby if people paid to do that. Like I love his work. I love his directorial work. But uh, yeah, no, not this. Not this one. This this is always the question we come back to. Is like how how often did you laugh? Did you guys laugh at all? I can think of one instance that like actually had me going like, okay, that was pretty funny. But that's about it. There was one. When Bobcat said Oprah's name. Don, you don't need me. You, you're a talking horse. You can, you can make a fortune. Oh, sure. You, you just get up in front of people and then talk, huh? Ha! Well, go public. Do the talk shows. Letterman, Donahue, Carson, Geraldo Rivera. Oprah Winfrey. But again, the bit is just Bobcat says names in Bobcat's voice. I, I laughed at, um, yeah, cause the, the movie starts with them going to the horse stable to have sex. And that, that's not the, the point that made me laugh. It was later on when we just hard cut to this other random couple coming out of the horse stable. And it's implied that this is just a go-to place for wall street people to fuck. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> and I, I thought I was like, yeah, when, uh, when I really want to get it on with someone and impress them, nothing is more of an aphrodisiac than the smell of horse shit. <laughs> That's a proven fact. Yeah, that's a scientific yes. fact. Spanish fly is actually horseshit, just in pill form. Uh, by the way, as this movie started, so I told my son, who is fourteen, who's again would be in the target demographic for this kind of movie, smack dab in the middle of it. Yeah, I said, "Hey, I'm watching a a movie for the podcast," and he goes, "Oh, okay, I'll watch it with you." Thirty minutes in, he's like, "I I can't do this." <laughs> I'm going to go read a book. <laughs> good, good for him. I can't do this. I'm going to go do some homework. It was like him going down with the Titanic. He's like, make sure to tell them I could not sit through this movie. <laughs> I wish my childhood was as healthy as that. <laughs> That's wonderful. Where like I'm consuming shit and I decide instead to read. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave him the novelization of the film Hot to Trot. <laughs> Good money if you can get it. Where, where oddly enough, we also learn how E.T. has sex in this novelization, too. <laughs> so, yeah, this is one of the worst movies we've ever covered on this podcast. Full stop. I think, I think so. Yeah, it's I think so. so horrendous. It's really, really bad. It did feel like five movies crammed into one, though. That was the thing about the script, right? So we start with Bobcat. He's like a stable. No, he's not even a stable hand, right? He just sort of hangs out. He's he's. Okay, do we need to, should I do the, should I do the, okay. Please do. Since apparently I'm the only one who's ingrained this movie into my memory. (laughs) Well, you apparently watched it 6,000 times. And then, you know what? I wonder why I I drink a lot. So (laughs) it's all, it all goes back to hot to trot. John Candy and Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah, I'm at the bar. I'm like, did you ever see that fucking talking horse movie? (laughs) You're there with Dabney Coleman. With Dabney Coleman. (laughs) Throwing back a couple Miller High Lifes. (laughs) 
So Bobcat Goldthwait's mom owned a stock brokerage and Dabney Coleman is Bobcat's stepdad. There's this weird implication that Dabney Coleman had his his wife killed. Yes, but it's never really addressed. Right. Then it's like, oh, she died mysteriously. That's all you hear after that. It's like never again. Yeah, I think I got the impression it was a little bit even more complicated. I got the impression that it was his dad who owned half the stock brokerage. His dad died. Yeah. And then his Dabney Coleman's wife also died. And his oh. mother had half the stock brokerage, so yeah. he married her. Yeah, it yeah. seemed like Dabney Coleman was orchestrating things to get this stock brokerage. Hostile takeover, yeah. From his dad, originally. Right, right, yeah. Uh, so Dabney Coleman's a, a philanderer and um, a bad guy, and we know because he's got buck teeth and he fucks people in the <laughs> horse stable. Sure. Um, and uh, Bobcat is a loser. Uh, it's unclear what he does for a living, but after his mom dies... Dabney Coleman tries to buy him out of the stock brokerage because the will passed on half of the stock brokerage to Bobcat, whose name is Fred in the movie. Just Fred. Yes. <laughs> Fred. Yeah. They kick him out of the house. He goes to the stables for some reason where he meets this horse that talks to him. Typically in movies like this, there would be a scene where he's walking and he gets kicked in the head by a horse. Right. And then suddenly he's like, oh, I can talk to horses or but there's none of that. I was sort of waiting for the twist to be that he's just been crazy the whole time. No, there is no twist. No, the horse can talk and it, he, he'll talk to whoever listens. And it just so <laughs> happens that Bobcat is there listening. But the way that the movie is set up, I, we should mention, though, it, like at first I, I was unclear about what business Dabney Coleman owned. Like at first I'm like, oh, this is going to be about horse racing. He's like an evil horse breeder. And that would make sense why he's bringing women to the stables to have affairs and why a talking horse would be relevant to the plot. That would make too much sense, Nico. But there is this like, you know, Wall Street money never sleeps movie that, you know, smashes head first, head on collision on the freeway <laughs> with a, you know, uh, babe pig in the city, you know, talking horse, Mr. Ed movie. And it's very unclear what movie you're watching until a half hour in when all of a sudden Bobcat is is trading stocks or whatever. And the horse is giving him advice first because he overhears a conversation with another stockbroker who's also bringing his mistress to the horse stables to have affairs. And then just by pure like intuition, the horse is just good at stock brokering. Right. Which is just bizarre. It's like and there's this like montage of Bobcat making a ton of money. But it's never addressed as to whether it's him or the horse or he's just lucky. And so there's this whole montage of him. This is but with the, this, the part we skipped over is Fred takes Don back to meet his family. Oh, right. Yeah. And it is uh, a brother who is um, he's got some kind of mental illness that he only can speak like curly from the Three Stooges. Yeah, it's good to see you too, Luke. Uh, his mother, who is uh, who does not speak English, only horse or or human, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! Can't ask him that. She wants to know what it's like to face somebody during sex. And then his father, in an uncredited voiceover role, uncredited by Burgess Meredith. Is it male or female? I can never tell when they have their clothes on. It's a guy, Pop, and his name is Fred. 
We're having a party. It's a pleasure meeting you, sir. I'm watching it, and I'm like, that's got to be Burgess. Like, there's no one else <laughs> that could be but Burgess Meredith, unless it's literally a Burgess Meredith impersonator. And I went to IMDb, and there was no credit for him. Nope. It's uncredited, and... <laughs> Do you blame him? <laughs> no, and they end up referencing him later in the movie when Don is training for the race. He's like, yell at me like you're the guy from Rocky or whatever. Yeah, and so Don is like, Fred, the bobcat, is like, okay, Don, I'm going to see you later. And then somehow Don convinces him that he's really good at stock brokerage and they move into an apartment together. Shenanigans. Right, and it's a fancy apartment where, guess what? No animals are allowed. What a crazy apartment rule, <laughs> man. Um, and it is a very 80s apartment. It's sick. It's a sick apartment. Is that what every apartment was like in the 80s? Did they all have the atriums? It had like a, yeah, it had a grand piano to, to which point uh, my son walked in and looked and he goes, no, apropos of nothing. He's like, why is there a, a piano in that apartment? That makes no sense. And then there was an, a weird atrium. Yeah, what is it? It's like a like a terrarium or something. Like I thought, like it's like the rainforest cafe. They 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 went to great lengths in the script to tell you it was an atrium. So what is an atrium? It's a room with a statue in it and plants. I think it was made to look like look how much money he is he has and look how 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 successful he is that he he's got atrium money. <laughs> yeah, and a Liberace style grand piano. So shenanigans ensue, and for some reason, they decide to go back to the farm where Don's family is. The Burgess Meredith, not Burgess Meredith, horse dies, and he's like, you need to bone another horse to make an heir because we need to pass on our bloodline. In a very sad death scene where he's like describing all of the things his body is going through. A horse knows when his time is near. <laughs> there are signs. Your tongue darkens, your eyes water, your mind goes. Your tongue darkens, your balls shrink. So yeah, so then uh, they 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 have their inevitable part where Bobcat makes a bad investment and on one investment apparently loses all his money. Well, he did put everything into it. He did say sell everything, buy this one stock india oats india oats indio oats i thought it's indio i had subtitles on <laughs> wow someone bothered to subtitle this movie <laughs> <laughs> i do love watching subtitles for some of these obscure movies though because we we watch all of this crap for the podcast and there are just they're rife with typos so the oats are contaminated don gets sick um <laughs> like animals are dropping dead eating these oats like what when i when i rewatch it i'm like oh is, is this where he dies because that would be the end of the movie and that would be nice but no it was a feature length so of course there's the falling out because they're both now broke and they go their separate ways virginia madsen plays the secretary she's completely wasted in this movie plays a secretary who learns that it was all set up by dabney coleman who apparently controls a lot more than we think she was sent to go on a date with Fred and learn his secret, but he's just a real idiot. He can't pronounce the word linguini, which a four-year-old can pronounce. And so she falls in love with him after one date. Right. Another great trope of these 80s comedies with weird leading men is that beautiful women fall for them immediately because he's quirky. Right. Even though like he lives with a horse. He's a fucking man-child who doesn't know how to eat. Doesn't know how to pronounce what he's eating. Dude, that scoop of linguine yeah. in that scene, like it <laughs> is so... a giant glob. 
<laughs> it's the entire plate. It's all of it. It's just all of it in it's one. His fucking fork. <laughs> but he can play the piano very well. I mean, he can lip sync to Little Richard. Yeah. There's this weird moment in the movie where uh, that that grand piano that we mentioned earlier, uh, he saddles up to it, slams his fingers down on it, and Little Richard's recording of Tutti Fruity comes out and. It's the very obviously the little Richard recording that he's lip syncing to. There's no stereo around for it to be playing out of. No one has hit play on anything. Right. And yet the woman <laughs> who sold him the apartment, apparently who was showing him the apartment and then sold it to him in the same day, hears him lip syncing to this song. No, the implication that he's is he's singing it himself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The implication is that this is all right, which is just another. Maybe he did get kicked in the head by a horse. And this is just his like death spiral fantasy as we're all being forced to go through it i wasn't i wasn't so sure if that was was happening until they cut to the close-up of his hands playing the piano i'm like oh no he's playing that piano right there maybe it was one of those weird 80s player pianos that only played little richard songs (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe so anyway so they they have their falling out virginia madsen is convinced that don can talk because don finally talks to her Fred? Sorry, Fred. Is she not buying the dog bit? Woof, woof. Whoops. Fred? Uh, I'll be out in a minute, please. Ah! There's a horse in here. Uh, where? Oh. <laughs> you know, if it's not cockroaches, it's palominos. Fred, you're living with a horse. No oh, kidding. Like, who doesn't? <laughs> woof, woof, woof. He convinces her to get Bobcat to come back and not go to the brokerage, but to enter the... What is it? The Belmont? Not the Belmont. I, I don't think it's a... Is it a, a like a major race? Is it a part of the Triple Crown? It's just a race. Yeah, I just think it's a race. It's like the El, yeah. El Segundo? Is that what it is? Sure, yeah. We finally got to a race scene with a horse, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Don has an idea. It's like, I'll run in the race. You'll win all your money back. Uh, and then they're training, and Dabney Coleman sees them training and makes a bet that they won't win. The bet is all of Dabney Coleman's horses <laughs> and his stable for win otherwise he will win don and turn him into dog food or glue or right which is just not great stakes right just like unwise the the reward to to the 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 risk to reward ratio is unwise for a stockbroker of dabney coleman's stature but he got called chicken shit that is true yeah so i mean like you know that's a real yeah egging on sort of called yellow in in 80s movies a handshake and being called chicken shit is legal grounds for a bet as we learn later on i wish we knew what the odds were on don well they said it he said it he bet oh yes he, the, the the one of the so uh nick way to jump ahead yeah <laughs> damn it nick someone did bet it yeah uh, but i forget what the amounts were don gets visited by his dead father who is now a, a horse fly reincarnated as a horse fly yeah then he goes on to win the the race because he tells the other horses mm-hmm. jokes and tells and, and plays on the other horses insecurities, which could have been a very funny bit in a completely different movie that was not hot to trot. Pablo's pride. I think you should know. The immigration people are here. They're waiting at the finish line. They're checking green cards. Yeah, immigration. Immigration. Green Carter. <laughs> but here's the thing about the that though like he don still has to catch up to the horses to be able to talk to them right so he actually does outrun a lot of the like he doesn't win by pure manipulation he actually does beat the horse at the end right 
Yeah. And the way he beats him is it's a photo finish. He also has buck teeth that he's been complaining about the whole movie. The whole premise is that if he does well, he'll get his teeth fixed. He wins by his teeth going over the line first, which I don't even know is possible. But Dabney Coleman apparently is held to this bet. And uh, the next thing we see is Virginia Madsen and Bobcat in a dentist's office. Time out, time out, time out, yeah. time out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Missing a, a crucial Hang detail on. here. Uh, did we settle what the odds of the, on the horse were? He bet $100 and he won 20000 He won 20000 Okay. So that is 200 to 1. Uh, yeah. If, if you and I were at uh, Saratoga, Nick, that is what we would have bet. Uh, so we, we would have been, we would have been uh, peachy keen after that. But um, yeah. Okay. So the opening credits of this movie. <laughs> There's a list of cast. By the way, we, we have not even scratched the surface of the behind the scenes of this movie yet. There's right. plenty more. I haven't even gotten close. Um, Bob Goldthwaite, not Bobcat. It's Bob Goldthwaite, John Candy, Virginia Madsen, Dabney Coleman. Then we get a little and title card. And it's and Gilbert Gottfried as the dentist. <laughs> and when I see that, I perk up, of course, because I'm a big Gilbert fan. We all know this. Right. And so now I'm I'm anticipating the moments with bated breath. When is the dentist going to show up? And I, I kind of put two and two together. Oh, Don is so- self-conscious about his teeth. So, uh, you know, Bobcat's going to take him to the dentist to get his teeth fixed. They make you wait until literally the last 20 seconds of the movie. <laughs> it is the final tag of the movie. It is insane how long they draw this out. I had forgotten he was in the because I remember seeing that credit. I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. And... I totally forgot about it completely at the end of the movie as the little capper Don at the dentist's office. We get a POV shot from inside Don's mouth. Oh, what awful breath must be the second worst smelling breath I've ever had in this office. Uh, it's good. Good. I have like horse saliva all over my hand. Just keep the tongue still for a second. And he just fixes his teeth and. That's all, folks. I think literally uh, John Candy says that's all, folks, and then they're done. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's That was the only time I came close to laughing was Gilbert Godfrey, who is a, a people dentist, is talking to him, assuming he doesn't understand. And then Gilbert Godfrey uh, holds up a mirror to him and says, what do you think of that, Mr. Horse? <laughs> 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 channeling all the sarcasm and anger at people who've just sat through this movie for 82 minutes. <laughs> and then of course, Don talks back to him and Gilbert Godfrey at first he does that cartoon trope of like, yeah, okay, this is all normal. I'm going to tell you to take some Advil and what, and then he's like, what? what? <laughs> and then yes, Don, the talking horse says that's all folks. And the Warner brothers theme, Looney Tunes theme plays us out. Right. Yeah. Okay. Again, we have not even begun to scratch the surface, so buckle up. There's more, guys. Hang on. I'm, I got to go like hose myself down. That was gross. I feel <laughs> gross. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so, again, three movies combined in one. It feels like a complete mess. A lot of meddling on the studio level, whatever. Uh, if that was what you suspected while watching this, uh, your suspicions were right on the money. There are four. Count them. Four. Screenwriting credits on IMDb for this movie. Three of them actually got title cards. One of them is uncredited. One of them is an uncredited rewrite by the guy that created Monk. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. 
I wrote down the names of all of these uh, people. Um, Charlie Peters, Stephen Nair. Uh-huh. Nay is in his last name. Uh, <laughs> and Hugo Gilbert all have uh, screenwriting credits. I love that the latter two have story credits. And Charlie Peters just has dialogue credit, I guess. Um, He's a snappy dialogue guy. Yeah. Three <laughs> screenwriters on this thing. Already insane, right? And who knows at what part, part of the process, um, you know, each writer took over for their own rewrite. Um, but uh, none of them really worked again. <laughs> there are very few. All of them have very few credits to their name after this movie. Um, the director of this movie also, um, I, I think, went straight to TV. His name is Michael Diner, I think. He's just like, I'm going to be a TV director the rest of my life. And he's been, you know, doing justified episodes for 40 years. Uh, you know, I looked him up and he did a lot of TV, but he also did like uh, a movie called Heaven Help Us, which was one of the, again, these are these movies that were on cable a lot. And Heaven Help Us was a, supposedly a, a good sort of coming of age movie about um, people and in, in kids in, in uh, a Catholic prep school. He directed a Judge Reinhold movie, which in the 80s was like, you've arrived. Here's your Judge Reinhold movie. <laughs> my, oh, my God. My worst nightmare. Uh, Judge Adam Reinhold. hates Judge Reinhold. Fucking hate like, Judge he, Reinhold. He breaks into hives every time we mention him on the podcast. I can't podcast. do it. Uh, just, what is he? I only like him in one role, and it's it, it's it's Seinfeld. It's Seinfeld, and that's the it. close that's talker. That's the only, yeah, yeah exactly. He, so he does this movie called Offbeat, which apparently is about a cop. Judge Reinhold plays a cop. And the, the the cast, not to divert from the, the cinematic masterpiece that is Hot to Trot, but the cast in this movie is Judge Reinhold, Meg Tilly. Oh, I love Meg Tilly. Joe Mantegna. Love him too. John Turturro. What? Harvey Keitel. What? Austin Pendleton. Penn Gillette, among others. And what? Fred Gwynn. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. What is it? Is, is it a comedy? Is it like... Uh, supposedly, I mean, supposedly Hot to Trial was a comedy too, right? Yeah, it's a rom-com. A, a, a librarian gets more than he bargained for when a favor for a friend leads to a secret career as a police officer. James Horner did the score. Jeez Louise. What? By the way, Danny Elfman did the score for Hot to Trot. Right. We, we should mention that too. Yeah. He, Don, Danny Elfman, I have one of his albums where he collected his stuff. He did little like liner notes about it. All he says about the Hot to Trot. Uh, clip that he that he inserts on this album is forgettable movie but a fun score nonetheless that was it (laughs) like everything else is like paragraphs and paragraphs even like the the minute and a half thing he did for the simpsons just epic notes and this one is just like yep i cashed my paycheck it might be his worst score that i've heard There was nothing Danny Elfman about it, which oh. like even in his bad movies, like you can kind of see glimpses of Elfman in there, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's three credits screenwriters. The fourth guy, uh, a guy by the name of Andy Breckman, again as we mentioned, he created Monk, was brought in after they decided to recast the role of Don. Hold on to your hats, folks. Don the horse. Should have said, "Hold your horses." Fuck. 
such a bad podcaster. <sighs> Adam, do you know who originally played the role of Don? Um, is it a favorite of mine? Can I take a guess? Uh, I will say that he is a staple of 70s cinema. Uh, one of my favorite actors of all time. Oh, God, Nico. You could have said he is in the stable of 70s actors. Fuck! So bad at this. This <laughs> is not very good at this. What are your um um? Uh, um he, he was a he was a, a frequent collaborator of one of my favorite directors of all time, Robert Altman. Oh, and he was somehow available to do the voice role in Hot to Trot. Um, Warren Beatty. Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould. Elliot Gould recorded the entire performance. They there's an Elliot Gould version of this movie floating around somewhere in the ether. I don't know where. Release the Gould cut. There is a Gould cut. <laughs> Elliot fucking Gould is originally Don. It screens horribly with test audiences. <laughs> does terribly. And so they're like, all right, let's bring John Candy in or whatever. And so they bring John Candy in and they bring in this guy to do rewrites. But here's the thing. The movie's already been shot. They've done like the the Mr. Ed style, you know, they tie a string to the lips and they make the horse talk. But you can't really tell what the horse is saying in any given moment. So they're just like, all right, we're just going to rewrite the horse parts, Mad Lib style, right? Bobcat's going to say what Bobcat says, and we're going to have John Candy insert punched up lines of dialogue in That's between. what it felt like. I right. was wondering that. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, because the words don't match the mouth <laughs> no, at all. No, no, right? no, no, not at all. Yeah. <laughs> I thought the words didn't match the mouth because it was a horse. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't realize it was... It was partially that and also like Bobcat's responses, like like at times there was something so random about the things that uh, Mr. Ed would say here. Uh, he has a name. It's uh, Don. Um, it's Don. I'm sorry. Yeah. And everyone is so shocked about it at the track. Number eight out of Pepperidge Farm and written by Fred P. Cheney is Don. Don. When I found out it was Elliot Gould who had originally recorded it, I was like, I wonder if that would have been a better movie because some of the setups and the punchlines were the same. No, but, but that that's the other thing. So they bring John Candy and they give him a new script. He reads the script. He's like, these lines fucking suck. I'll just go in the booth and ad lib it. And so John Candy literally goes in and ad libs the entire role, the entire part. It's just John Candy going off improv style in the booth uh so there's an opening animation where um where they show like the dictionary definition of horse and you just get john candy vamping for five minutes but i'm a fucking horse and i do horse things and i i I shit in hay and flies sit all over me like and it's john candy just phoning it in like you've never seen before (laughs) like yeah just like high on cocaine or whatever he's doing at the time you know not exactly a paragon of health this this guy certainly at this point in his career and he just you know i'm a fucking horse over here you know and um and that's the that's the movie so the dialogue rarely makes much sense and the punchlines don't feel particularly well thought out because they are not half of the movie is written and the other half it's like Mystery Science Theater 3000 just riffing over, um, you know, the, the the mouth movements of a horse. Can I ask a question? Um, why didn't uh, Gilbert voice the horse? Thank you. <laughs> 
Thank well, because Adam, he was already playing the role of the dentist. Oh, he was, he was preoccupied as that dentist. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was a big role. <laughs> he he trained for years for that role. <laughs> he went to dental school to learn the role. <laughs> I don't have a doubt in my mind that Gilbert was like, Gilbert was approached to be in this movie and he said, uh, I will only be on set for one day and I better be in the title card. <laughs> and they said, sure. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> I did find in the research for this movie, I think there, it was a New York Times article or Washington Post or something that was like uh, the meteoric rise of Gilbert Gottfried. The man can't be stopped. He's in a new picture this summer called Hot to Trot. Like it was quite a time in the 80s where it's like this guy, Gilbert, he's the new face of comedy. When was Problem Child, by the way? Uh, nine, 1990, maybe. 91 something like so that That was the height of his powers really that's where he peaked with oh he's peaking here yeah this is his apex okay. yeah i see by the way i just looked this up you remember you said that they they made him do the mr ed thing i don't know if this is true or not but according to bobcat when talking about how they got the horse to talk he said that before they did a take they would smack it in the face with a stick <laughs> <laughs> oh my god Hurt its lip and it'd yeah. be like twitch. Oh, God. Which is, and then you know what I noticed at the end of the credits? Because I stayed through the credits in case there was an MCU style scene. Of course. Yeah, because they had set up the uh, the Elliot Gouldiverse at, at the initial <laughs> outset of this. Um, the Humane Society notice that's in most movies was not there. Really? Holy shit. Or <laughs> like no animals were harmed or anything. I don't think I don't think it was in there. And I I, I don't know when they started putting that stamp on movies, but like there was no assurances that and because there was other animals in this movie too, right? Like he has a party at one point with dogs and ducks and that's and, another scene that's kind of funny, if I'm being honest. I did like when the dog showed up and they subtitle him of just like, Hey, I saw you from the street, look like you could use some company. <laughs> and then he calls all of his friends and before you know it, it's a barnyard party in the in the apartment. That was good stuff. I dug it. <laughs> That's the version of the movie I think that I would have enjoyed. In fact, you know, they end up doing this with Babe a couple years later, but this is, you know, sandwiched in between the Mr. Ed era of talking animals and the Babe era of talking animals. As you said, the technology is not quite there yet. Uh, the, the old urban legend is that they used to shove a carrot up a horse's ass to make it talk. And I think there's a joke about that in this movie. But uh, yeah, it's this very like primitive, like talking animal movies are stupid. They are exclusively stupid and they're janky and the audience just has to suspend disbelief as opposed to like Babe, which is a, like a tender family friendly tale. You know, you know who helped develop the technology for Babe to move the lips? Who's that? One Stanley Kubrick. I feel like I know that. Yeah. Help. He's like, George is like, calls Stanley up. He's like, I need help. I can't figure out how to make this fucking pig talk. And Stanley's like, I got an idea. I'm going to, I'm going to develop this digital technology for you. Give me a second. <laughs> I love Stanley. I could admit, yeah. Stanley Kubrick being like, well, did you try shoving a carrot up its ass? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I used to do. <laughs> we'll try plan B. <laughs> Mr. Perfectionist Stanley Kubrick. Now I got half the cast of Tom Jones to talk. He did not direct Tom Jones. Oh, he didn't? Uh, whatever. It's okay. I didn't say he had to direct it. I think he, yeah, he, said, he got him to talk. That's not the same thing. Did you talk about, Nico, did you find out who was originally cast in the Bobcat role? Oh, yes, I did. I will leave that up to you then. Uh, and it's, it's funny. Um, uh, the monk guy, uh, whose name Andy, I'm forgetting. Andy Breckman. Uh, yeah. Andy, Andy Breckman wrote a, a blog post 
detailing the behind the scenes of this movie. It was quite amusing. Uh, initially, this was supposed to be a, a Joan Rivers vehicle. Yes, that's right. Uh, and he was like, <laughs> that really speaks to the quality of your film. If you can easily swap out Joan Rivers for Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah, right. Uh, but this was supposed to be about Joan Rivers becoming like a, a hot stockbroker who talks to a horse. Well, but you know what, though? That's probably just one of the three scripts that were floating around, if we're going to be fair. Also, a funny little nugget, though. Breckman puts in the blog post that apparently she was fired after her talk show bombed. What? So, <laughs> which I remember being kind of a notorious thing in the 80s, right? Like she was supposed to take over for Carson. She would like fill in for Carson a lot and her episodes would always get pretty high ratings. And so they gave her her own show and it lasted what, like a year, Joe? Like it was uh, like, if that, yeah. Yeah, a notorious bomb. There were the two bombs in the talk show, a world which was um her the two big names, her and Chevy Chase. Sure. Right, right, right. Um but which I just find so amusing that like the Joan Rivers talk show is poison on television. So they're like, get us the new hot name in comedy, Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> I, I do love the fact that they have now thought of casting or have casted three people whose voices will grate you to death if you listen to them long enough. Joan Rivers, Bobcat Goldthwait, and Gilbert Godfrey. It's just so funny to me, like, at this point in time, Joan Rivers has no juice. She's a poison (laughs) pill at the box office, but Bobcat is like, put him in your movie, it'll be fine. Larry, did you see the ratings on Rivers' talk show? Yeah, we gotta cut her. Get her out of of the the centerpiece movie of the summer, Hot to Trot. Tell Joan Rivers, bye, Bobcat. Bye, bye, bye. (laughs) Bye. Bring me in the Hollywood fixer, Bobcat Goldthwait. <laughs> Bring me the Dabney Coleman of his generation, Bobcat <laughs> Goldthwait. That was my question. Like, who, who, who makes this movie good? Who's a, who leads this movie? I don't know. Is the Joan Rivers version better? No. No, Joan Rivers' career is worse for this movie having come out. She dodged a bullet. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's true. I wonder what that would have been like, because I was thinking about this as I was watching Bobcat amble around the stables. Joan Rivers had a personality developed at that point. Like her, her stage persona was not someone who just kind of like walks into the stables and I, I don't even see her playing this. So I wonder what that original, if there was a different script and if there wasn't, then which I'm getting the indication there wasn't something different. Mm. I just don't understand. Like, yeah, it's puzzling. I don't know. And, and you're right by that point in her career, you know, she, I think she had done Spaceballs already, right? What, what year was Spaceballs? Yeah, it was 87. This came out in 88. Yeah. So this is around the time where she was trying to, I think, expand into a movie career. But I mean, the whole joke in Spaceballs is that she's Joan Rivers as C-3PO. Right. Like, like that is the joke. Um, so like, I don't know how you make this movie. It's not like Bobcat is playing a character in this, right? So I'm sure like it would have been heavily rooted in her persona as well. But I don't know if I see like the trash talking, like tough young woman from from New York or whatever, Jewish woman from New York as being the glue that holds this thing together. You know? The horse glue that holds this yeah, movie no together, pun Nico? intended. God, yeah. I missed another horse pun. God damn it. Mm-mm. And then the other the other person who either dodged the bullet or or wasn't even serious. Um, originally, they offered the director chair to one Mr. Tim Burton. That is correct. Oh, I heard about this, yeah. Man, the Joan Rivers Tim Burton. <laughs> Elliot Gould fucking version of this movie. 
it's weird though. There, there's, there's talent on display here. I mean, the fact that it's funny the carryover with um Tim Burton is. I mean, did did Danny Elfman sign on thinking that <laughs> that Tim Burton was gonna do it? Maybe. Yeah, probably. Like I just thought about that. Like Danny Elfman looked and it was like they're covering up the part where it says past. Like it just says Tim Burton and they're covering up the word past. And he's like, oh, Tim's on this movie. <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah. The joke I referenced before with Bobcat was he came out and he talked about how his kids were at the age where they were having friends over their house. A, a group of this is, I guess his son had, or son or daughter had friends over and they were playing in the pool and Bobcat walked out and one of the kids swimming in the pool <laughs> looked over and goes, Hey, I know you, you were in that terrible talking horse movie. <laughs> and Bobcat said, yeah, well that terrible talking horse movie paid for the pool. You're playing in you little shit. <laughs> it's yeah kind of like his version of the michael kane line from jaws 4 i haven't seen the film but i've seen the house that it bought (laughs) (laughs) he the 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 one of the bits of trivia that popped up was that even bobcat was like why would i do this movie and apparently his agent just drew a dollar sign on the script and tossed it back to him and he was like (laughs) oh yeah uh yeah i mean listen fair enough man um what other things that I, I, I little notes, little scenes from this. Um, oh, at one point, the uh, Don orders a, a horse blow up doll to be delivered to the apartment because he is so lonely. That's what facilitates the party starting. Yeah. Something about scenes that like clearly were just like, here's a punchline, but we don't have a place to put it. So we're just going to insert the scene. Yeah. Right. It feels like sort of how family guy jokes family. feel. Yep. Right. It's like they just they wrote down horse blow up doll on a chalkboard. And, and that's the like, joke. How do that's we get whole, this in? Yeah. I mean, for all for all we know, horse blow up doll was like how this movie got made. Like that joke right. could have been the inspiration for the whole fucking movie. I was I was gonna take time to just talk about how like non nonsensical it is that like just because he can speak English, like why would he know anything about stocks or blow up horse dolls or any of or know how to dial a phone? But uh, yeah. I don't care. (laughs) Yeah, the implication isn't that he's the smartest horse on the planet. The implication is that he's just a horse who can talk. Right, 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 right. Exactly. That's it. (laughs) He's a horse who can talk who apparently also has business acumen enough to follow the stock market and knows how to drink and procure and drink six gallons of Maalox. Yeah. Because that is how he survived the Indio Oats catastrophe was he drank six gallons of Maalox. Yeah. But he drinks everything out of a bowl too. Like at one point, like he gets poured a soda. Oh, it was tab. Bowl. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I've never had tab. Oh, it's good. It is good. Yeah. Yeah. Tab Tab was like, there was one story, by the way, that was in New York that I could find tab at for years. Mm. And I would always go to that store and I'd leave with like 10 six packs of tab just so I wouldn't have to go back for a while. <laughs> What is that cashier thinking? <laughs> no, they're, they're like DeFeo's back for his quarterly tab pickup. Yeah, they were like, wow, this guy must really want to kill himself slowly. <laughs> we we got your pallet waiting in the back. <laughs> you bring a forklift to the... <laughs> yeah, it's just one of those movies that just has such a bad legacy because it's a bad movie. Right. And it's But it's also a, a, a great example of how a studio system works, right? Like... Now they would probably, well, Warner Brothers is doing this anyway. They're writing off movies as losses before they're even coming out. Right. Yeah, that's true. 
This one, they're just like, hey, let's try to save this movie because we have so much writing on it. You look at the business model of movies, though, it is smart, certainly smarter to do what they're doing now. Yes. Well, that yeah, it is the frustrating thing. But but like I think we've talked about this on the show in the past. I feel like even recently we talked about this. Like, why do you get into the movie business in order to like sit on a pile of money like Scrooge McDuck? Like it, there are so many other industries like just go to fucking Wall Street and rob housewives by selling them bad mortgages. You know what I mean? Like, why are you going to Hollywood? I forget who who um, said this line. I think it was like Christopher Walken or something. Um, he, he, he said, uh, you know, a, a good business is like clothing. You, you make a, a, a t-shirt for, for 20 cents and you sell it for $20. Like movies, it's like you make it for $80 million and if it makes its money back, you're happy. Like you, why do you get into this industry to make money? Like it's such a financially unpredictable and unstable thing that any time like some like corporate overlord at Warner Brothers decides to just like kill Batgirl to for the tax write off. It's like you're in the wrong industry, dude. Like I'm fine with your your corporate greed, but why here? They think they can make it financially viable if they're just going to sit on it, you know. That's yeah, the lack of I risk. guess that's just the natural progression of every industry on the planet and that's just like how capitalism works, but also it's just a lot more exciting to say, you know, I work in the movie business than I work in the t-shirt business. Right. True. I yeah. think that's maybe what it is, right? Well, it's the appeal of being, like you said, Nick, it's the appeal of being in an industry where people, well, you say I'm in the movie business. They're like, oh, wow. You know, what have you done? And and it's impressive on its face. Yeah, you have a story to tell at your 20-year high school reunion or something. And then people will want to give you things. <laughs> Although funny enough, Meg Ryan n- apparently never, ever, ever shows up to my parents' uh, high school reunions. And they do it every 10 years. She has not come to one. What? No. She must hate your parents. Yeah, she's she's your actual mother. I mean, she probably wants to steer clear. I forgot about that. I forgot about that. (laughs) She's about 27 years late on the alimony payments. I don't know, man. I wouldn't want to go to the... Like it's it's unfortunate, but if she goes to that reunion, it's not a reunion anymore. It's a Meg Ryan show. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I know it's, that's true. It's a mess. It'd be near, nearly impossible for that to go any any other way. But I don't know. Right? They need to get into like their seventies, maybe even later. Yeah. But I mean, Meg Ryan's not doing much anymore. Yeah. Don't you kind of feel like Meg Ryan is at that point now? I think she can. Isn't yeah. She kind of over the hill a little bit. No offense to Meg Ryan. No. But- in ter- in terms of like regular life, sure. But like in terms of high school reunions, she's still. That's true. The hottest star in the world, you know, if you're putting it next to high school reunion. This this is a bunch of people that would look go up to her and call her Peggy, though. That's the thing. They know her personally. Yeah, that's that that's the weird thing. Yeah, Joe, Meg Ryan's name is not actually Meg Ryan. What everything I've been told is a lie. Yeah, it's 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 Peggin. Not Megan. <laughs> She's also not attracted to guys that look like Billy Crystal, which is another attracted to guys that look like Adam Hall. Doesn't your dad have an autographed uh, in the in the yearbook, right? Didn't she sign the yearbook? I don't know if it's an autograph. It's not. <laughs> she signed my yearbook. I have an autograph. I wrote a whole fucking paragraph about Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's like those, you know, you go to the lunchroom when you're signing your yearbooks. And yeah, he has one of her like writing like, oh, it was really great hanging out with you. Be good, Bear, or something like that. Because that was my dad's nickname. I can't imagine Meg Ryan calling me Bear. Yep. <laughs> It's a, literally. I could go get it right now. Yeah, it says I would bear. Yeah. fucking melt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> See a bear. Love, love Peggy. I think it actually says love Peggy. Oh too. Jesus, yeah. forget it. How often does he break that out? He 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 breaks out the Jaws photos more than the the 
the Meg Ryan. The Jaws photos. Remind me what the Jaws photos are. We it's not it's not him specifically. It's my mom actually. She was in Martha's Vineyard when they were filming Jaws. And they they have these old Polaroid pictures of them when they had the sharks on the, you know, the little construction area where they are painting the sharks. And you can see three constructed sharks in these little like like frames. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I have them downstairs framed now. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I will go well with my autograph picture of the, the uh, kid who died on the raft. <laughs> From Jaws? From Jaws. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Would you meet him at a Comic-Con or yeah, something? Yeah, convention. And he signs He signs it. There's a picture of like the shark. They must have been doing a test. Like The shark is right behind him. Because you never actually see it in the movie, right? You just see that. So the shark is right behind him. And he signs it. And he's like, this is the moment right before I was eaten by Jaws. Sincerely yours, the dead Alex. And he signs his name. How much are you charging for those? Uh, actually, uh, I think it was like 20 bucks. Oh, that's not bad. Good racket. Yeah. <laughs> Good work if you can get it. Uh, a lot of a lot of those people. The, the girl who played the hall monitor in, in Nightmare on Elm Street, anytime they do like a horror movie convention, she pops that up. That girl that says no no running in the hall? That yeah. person? Are yeah. you kidding me? <laughs> no. What the hell? Dude, I got to I gotta get some bit parts and some big yeah, movies, I man. <laughs> I, I, I guess I've never said this because I went... So one of my acting teachers back in the day, he played the cop in Friday the 13th. Mm. Oh, my God. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the role of a lifetime. <laughs> and, He's trying to get in the, into Dabney Coleman's corner a little bit. He was signing <laughs> autographs at this horror movie convention. He was selling his photo and the autograph for 10 bucks. This guy comes over and he's like, uh, hey, my son and I really love your work. Do you, which made me laugh. It's like, do you, uh, do you think you could sign an autograph for him? And so my, my, my friend, his name was Ron Milky. He goes, uh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to do that. And he takes out one of the pictures and he goes, uh, uh, what's your favorite line I said in the movie? Ooh. And the guy goes, freeze put your hands up and so ron then recites the five lines he said in the movie (laughs) and the guy goes pick your favorite and so he he writes i think he wrote like sit on it tonto and then signed it and then he's like that'll be ten dollars and the guy goes oh you're charging money for this oh my god (laughs) and now this was well before like venmo and stuff so ron goes yeah that's how i make my money and he goes, uh, well, um, I don't have any cash on me. And he goes, well, there's a cash machine in the lobby. He goes, oh, okay, I'll be right back. And he leaves. And Ron and I are talking for about an hour. And he turns to me after an hour and he goes, yeah, I don't think that guy's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Ron. I love the idea that, that he has like a menu available at all times. Which line, would, which one of my five nonsense lines from this movie that you don't remember would you like me to sign here? In fact, I can do it for you now, live in person. I love the fact that he was so memorable that people assumed that he would sell his his autograph for free. Like, oh, there's the free table over there. <laughs> yeah, everybody else is charging. Right? That's funny. That was a that was a convention where Bruce Campbell was a guest too. Oh yeah, and Bruce had just Bruce had just published was his first book. I don't know if it was his only book, but he just published a book. Yeah, that was a huge book. Well, that was I think like around the time that comic-con really started getting big bruce campbell helped like build that entire industry so so ron was also working on a book and he was like he had they had mutual friends who were also there because ron knew some of the people who were in the evil dead with with bruce campbell so 
he grabbed one of the women and he's like, Hey, can you give Bruce this, this manuscript and see if he can like pass it along for me? So the, the woman's like, I'll see, I'll, you know, no promises. So she takes it, she leaves, she comes back five minutes later with a manuscript and a copy of Bruce Campbell's book. And she goes, yeah, he can't do anything for you, but he sent you a copy of his book. And he looked inside and inside it was signed and it said to Ron, why do you hate me so much? Bruce Campbell. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, that that must have been like, yeah, that was around the time where I don't think people realize like Evil Dead had obviously done really well on VHS and it was a big rental home rental thing. But it wasn't until Campbell wrote that book and it did so well and started going to conventions that studios started realizing oh shit this nerd thing might be catching on here like we can't just like shove these guys in lockers anymore like there's money to be made (laughs) and and yeah he actually he really he helped build that entire industry and now it's like comic-con is the hub where all of these multi-billion dollar corporations essentially go off to show their new products or whatever yeah but back then it was just like a bunch of weirdos that were in two movies in the 80s just going and hawking autographs I would love to see someone try to shove Bruce Campbell into a locker, by the way. That would not go over very well. <laughs> Bruce Campbell's coming to Cincinnati in like this week. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing Bruce Arama. <laughs> of course he is. That's what it's called. It's a stage play? I don't know what the fuck it is. It sounds like it's basically Bruce Campbell hosting trivia about Bruce Campbell movies and the audience gets eliminated as they get stuff wrong until the last person's left or something. Sick. I have no fucking idea. It's the weirdest thing. You have to go. No, no. Is this a touring thing? Yeah. Oh, Adam, if he comes around sometime soon, we got to go. We are going. We are. We're fucking going. But yeah, it, it was just this movie was an afterthought. It felt like and and there's no sort of again, there's no ADR. There's no setting up the anything it's just like oh look we had these sets left over we can't be bothered all the money all the money we spent went to uh john candy's improvisational skills <laughs> there are very very few redeeming qualities to this movie i mean we, we often like use that in a, in a hyperbolic sense oh it sucks there's no redeeming qualities but you could probably point to like one or two things you know well we usually try to find them yeah oh yeah exactly yeah m- m- almost every time and then but this was one of those instances where it's like jesus what is good about this movie short it, it, yeah there you go there you go there's the one that. thing yeah. it is very short yeah eventually it ends <laughs> <laughs> thank god it does end like even the Gilbert scene, I was. The, it was made worse by the fact that he's only on screen for like thirty seconds. I was. Maybe that's the funniest joke in the movie is that Gilbert Godfrey gets like one of the top billing cards. Um. Anything else? Any other little bits and pieces? We we basically went through the entire behind the scenes of this movie. Um. It was nominated for five Razzies, worst picture, which it lost to Cocktail. Which is a better? This is a worse movie than Cocktail. Let's be couldn't honest. even win a Razzie. Yeah, uh, Bobcat was nominated for for worst actor. He lost to Stallone in Rambo Three. What? Uh, Michael Diner lost worst director, uh, worst screenplay. Also lost to Cocktail and worst new star. Don the Talking Horse <laughs> lost to Ronald McDonald for his cameo in Mac and Me. Which, speaking of E.T., is a movie that we will do one day on this pod. I keep thinking we've done Mac and Me. 
we've never done please, it. Please, please bring me back for that. I've sure. seen Mac and me so many times. I... <laughs> Can I ask that when you guys are rating movies on the show from now on, you use Don like as a template, like mm. how bad a movie is would be like five Dons. I don't know if you heard, we're kind of, we don't do bits anymore, Joe. <laughs> yeah. We're done with bits. We're a serious program. We've been slaughtering bits lately, dude. We've just been <laughs> like, right. just like, hey, you know what I mean? Just yeah. bullets. <laughs> All across, just killing bits left and right. Anyway, you can find me on the uh, Fantasy Book of the Month podcast next. Uh, uh, <laughs> was that a dig? I don't know. I think it was a plug. Yeah, it was okay. a plug. Was, by the way, uh, rate and review this on wherever you get your podcast. There you oh go. God, look at this guy. Five stars. Well, no, but only review it if you give it five stars. And uh, Not five dons. Uh, I would like to, to close our discussion with uh, a, a story from Andy Breckman. From that that blog post you uh, you mentioned, yes, this is from a this is from the blog that was published in 1997. Um, Andy Breckman is currently actually on WFMU, which is a station down here in New York. Um, Breckman writes, "This is a true story. The movie came and went so fast, I didn't get a chance to see it in Jersey. I had to go into the city to see it. It was playing at the Eighth Street Playhouse. I stopped up to the box office and said, one, please.' The box office lady looked up." She was genuinely puzzled. She said, "You know it's hot to trot." That happened to what was what was his name? Uh, Kaufman for the, the the movie we did. Uh, which which Kaufman? Andy Kaufman, Charlie Kaufman. Ch- no, what the fuck? Is, you know uh, uh, Lloyd Kaufman. Who's the guy who hosts the Gong Show? Chuck Barris. Chuck, Chuck Barris. Chuck Barris. Oh yeah, same person. Uh, yeah, that's right, Barris. <laughs> I was close. I'm naming all no, the Kaufmans I, I can think of. <laughs> There's too many Kaufmans. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Whoa, hey, easy there, Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, <laughs> I didn't mean to. <laughs> Uh, yeah, sure. Chuck Barris. Yeah. What about him? That happened to him when he went to go see his own movie, uh, the gong show movie. Right. Yeah. And they were like, why are you going to see this movie? It's a piece of shit. <laughs> Not so. even that bad a movie, honestly. Like, no, it was, it yeah, was fine. A, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's it. Anything else? No. Fun show. DeFeo, thank you so much for joining us. We are, uh, we yeah. are going to be, uh, sure. To have you on again and and not award you a Razzie at the end of the year or a, a, a Watati at the end of the year. I hope I don't get a Razzie. Yeah, we we'll give you a Razzie. We won't give you the Watati. Right. It'll, I'll take I'll take the the Razzie that Don the horse lost to Ronald McDonald. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always a pleasure. Uh, please, next time let's not select a phoning it in John Candy movie. I feel like we've done like four of them at this point. Uh, I'll select a a. a faxing it in john candy movie <laughs> so great <laughs> telegram john candy uh all right that's it love you we'll see you bye we don't do the catchphrases anymore oh man this show can that be the catchphrase